playing the trumpet, particularly in the upper register, is tense. <laughs> like, there's no two ways about it. If I look like I'm not doing very much, um, there certainly is a lot going on. But, um, you know, if it looks easy, it tends to sound easy. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru Zang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Louis Dowdswell. Louis, well, he's incredible. Louis' seemingly effortless command of the trumpet's upper register puts him in rare air indeed. As one of the young lions of the bustling London music scene, you can hear Louis lighting it up in studios, stages, and pits, as well as with his own big band. And Louis' video covers of soundtrack tunes have had millions of views worldwide. But the best part is that Louis's laugh comes just as easy as his double C. So pour yourself a big glass, flip a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang as we uh, jump across time zones uh, <laughs> to spend some time this morning, well, morning for me, afternoon for him, with Louis Dowswell. So, Louis, hey, man, great to meet you finally. Yeah, hey, man, how you doing? It's great to see you. It's, uh, it's been a little little while trying to get this all to, together, but we're here finally. And as I say, thank you so much for waking up so early for me. Um, trying to squeeze a few things in today but i'm glad that we managed to make this work so yeah awesome very happy absolutely i tell you what man i have uh i've been a fan of your playing for uh well actually i let, let me let me backtrack i'm a fan of your playing now when, <laughs> I, when i first heard you playing on those youtube clips and you were were you a, were a wee lad um I, I just wanted to kick you in the nuts i mean that, that's, all, <laughs> that's all there was to it. <laughs> yes. um but no, I was I was I was super impressed with, with your playing back then, and then and you're kind of watching, listening to your progress over the years, and uh, you know, you have uh, you've kind of taken the world by storm, my friend. Uh, so, uh, at such a such a, a young age, um, to to have some, garnered some of the acclaim that you have, I mean, it's respect from players. I mean, and that's I think that's more important than anything else, getting the respect of the cats out there. So. I know one of the first people that that uh, really talked to you, talked about you to me was uh, Wayne Bergeron. Uh, so Wayne, uh, Wayne was talking about you coming over and, and visiting for a bit and stuff like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> and you've had a good relationship with him. So how how did you how did you end up getting connected with with Wayne? Oh well, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. It's um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a funny thing. Uh, how did I get in touch with Wayne? So. I was uh, at music school, and um, the first thing, the, the first time I got in touch with him was when I sent him a message through his website, and I said, oh, um, my neck's puffing out, I believe you have a, a neck hernia too, you know, I think I must have been uh, probably about 16, I have a neck hernia, you know, and I'm not sure what to do about it, I've been to see some, like, specialists about this, um, do you have any advice, basically? And I, you know, I was just like, well, take a punt, see if he gets back. I don't know. And people, you know, maybe some of the younger guys here that are checking this out, realize that <laughs> um, this is kind of before social media. So um, we'll probably get onto this a little later. But social media, um, getting in touch with people back then, 
as I'm sure a lot of the older guys will know, was never that easy anyway. And you never expected to get a response from any anybody, particular, particularly your idols. So it was kind of just a, well, I'll send this message. Anyway, so um, I'm just sat in my maths class um, and I have this like old Skype phone and um, uh, and I get to start getting this Skype phone call from, from, from Waynard B. And I was thinking... That can only be one person. So I'm like, I was like, get up straight away, fly out of my math class, and run up and down the corridor chatting to Wayne about this stuff. And and uh, I was just ecstatic. You, were, I, I didn't know what planet I was on to be honest with you. It's just so excited. Um, and then I'd seen that he'd replied to my email after that um, about the next thing. Anyway, a bit of time goes on, and I'm all excited about it. And um, I start putting out those covers, uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, and um, he, I, I get another message in my YouTube uh, inbox from Wayne Bergeron saying, basically, would you like, you know, would you like the music to play along with this stuff? Because I've been learning it all by ear at the time. And I was like, oh, my, this is crazy. Um, and so we get, got chatting a bit um, after that. And then I sort of explained to him that we chatted maybe three or four months before about this Netconia thing. And it all kind of wrapped up. And we had a few Skype conversations, kind of basically lessons, if you will. but. Um, sort of mentoring and then uh, eventually he uh, his his wife Barb uh, invited me over uh, sort of getting into contact with my mom about going over and staying with them and hanging out in LA and doing all that and then like just two days before I went over for the first time in 2012 and I broke my ankle uh, so I'm like on the plane with this broken broken ankle going over there and Wayne's I it was like devastated because I thought the whole trip would be off and and uh and it wasn't they they were very very lovely and they looked after me and I was hobbling around on crutches everywhere and had my leg up with ice and everything and they just looked after me great and I saw a load of stuff out in LA it was just a fantastic experience I think I must have been it must have been 18 or something at that point um maybe seven no 18 2012 yeah so and it was just a it was just awesome so yeah I'm very grateful to Wayne and Barb um for being so um just lovely i i mean you'd never expect that really so i'm i'm very very grateful very lucky um to have got to know them and and our relationship has only flourished since so <laughs> yeah well, they're, they're great people you know I, I love both of them to death and uh you know that it and and what what that shows to me is that um that spark you know when you see something in someone that you go you know this person has got so much potential um you know some people, if, if you're like, if you have a closed heart, you're going to, you're going to do everything you can to hold that person back because you don't want anybody, you know, you don't want to share the limelight with anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, when you see someone who, you know, is like, oh man, that, you know, that person really has, has some talent that they can contribute to the world. Let me do what I can to help them to, you know, to nurture them. I was actually yeah. into uh, a new book uh, by Quincy Jones. Uh, it's called 12 Notes. It's phenomenal. So if you, Anybody in the audience who wants to check that out, it's a great book about creativity. But he was talking about his relationship with uh, Count Basie and with Clark Terry and how Clark, you know, Clark was his first trumpet teacher and yeah. Clark, like went out of his way to help Quincy to develop as a musician. And, you know, he's like, you know, if it wasn't for Clark, he probably would not have become, you know, the person that, that he is and reached the, the amount of people that he has in the industry. So, you know, yeah. I, and I think, and he's like, in, in, you know, extolling mentorship and saying you know you need to be a mentor everybody needs to be a mentor you know uh it doesn't matter 
you know, who you're mentoring or, you know, what field you're in, but, uh, you know, you need to, you need to, uh, if, if you're in a position where you can help someone, you should always take it upon yourself to do that. So, yeah. Are, are yeah. you, do you have uh, that kind of nature within yourself? Like, you know, where you're, when people come up to you and it's like, Oh, Louie, you know, you're such a great player or blah, blah, blah. You know, where, where you, you really help, uh, to steer people into the, the best path possible to develop. A career. Uh, there's a, there's a, yeah, my honest answer to the question is I want to, um, I'm also very aware that the internet is a big place and, um, I think part I mean, this is getting slightly to another subject, but part and parcel of the reason the trumpet is getting so people get their brains explode when they think about it. And it's so confusing um, is that there's a lot of stuff out on the Internet that is contradictory and mythy and not very clear. And people are constantly searching. Um, One of the things that my relationship with Wayne that's different to maybe like 99% of my relationships that I've met with people on the internet is that I got to spend a, a very, like a lot of time with him. Um, and I mean, Wayne's, a. am sure I could have said, right, can I have some tips, please? Can you, you know, help me get better or whatever, which is what the vast majority of messages I get on the internet. Um, I just feel as though a lot of the time, the trumpet is way too complicated and you can mess people up by just giving generic tips to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more of the um, feeling that if someone was to come to me, you know, with a very specific problem and, it, and, and we were to invest a, a reasonable amount of time into trying to fix it, I'm much more of that mindset than sort of, um, oh, uh, it's just going back to what I was saying before. It's so easy to get in touch with people now. Right. But I almost feel like it's, it's, it, it just muddies the waters and mm-hmm. you can't help everybody. And that's why I'm so grateful for Wayne is that it's almost as though he, he'd, um, he had, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a second that he hasn't mentored anybody else, but it felt a lot, it felt a lot like it had come from him, um, mm-hmm. that he wanted to do that. And, right. I'm very much of that mindset. If there's someone that, that I see doing great and want most importantly, wanting to learn, um, then I'm going to try and help them as much as I can. But it, but it's also muddied up with a lot of the same questions that are being asked all the time, which is, Oh, you know, uh, generically, um, how do I get better at high notes? And right. it's like, I, I'm almost, <laughs> I feel a little numbed to that. <laughs> To, to that um to uh, to those questions being asked because there is no one answer to any of this stuff and right. it's it's a journey that everyone must go on and right. i want to do the journey with someone not just you yeah. know and gu- it's guidance as well it's like with some of my pupil my students um or any you know the people that i'm trying to help um it's 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 a long it's it's a, a series of light bulbs that turn on over a long period of time there's no quick way to any of this um i mean you were saying earlier about how um i was young when i was doing it it yes maybe but um i did invest a lot of time into doing it um and maybe more than some and 
very likely a lot less than others just purely based on age but it, it's still a case of discovery it's like a it's like a path in which you go through and having people like Wayne there to help sort of push you in the right direction is much more of a learning environment that I think is uh, um, helpful rather than just sort of like, uh, here's a quick answer to any of these things. There just aren't any of those answers. So anyway, long, long answer um, short. Yes, I am very much of that. I would love to be able to mentor and help people grow, um, but it has to be, it has to be, almost like a controlled environment where we can look at every single individual thing. Cause it's, right. there's so much stuff out there. It's just, it's terrifying. You know, I have people yeah. come to me saying some things, not just like, where did you read that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a big difference between being a teacher and a mentor, you know? Mm. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's the, the big thing is like, you know, you could certainly, I'm sure that if, uh, you know, anybody were to, to talk to you and say, Hey, Louie, I'm having, I'm having problems getting my high D to slot. <laughs> That right. you know, you could you could teach them something, but when you have a mentor mentee relationship, I mean, even like you said, you have students, you know, that, that you're teaching. But when you have a mentor mentee relationship, it goes way beyond the skill that you're teaching. And it, it yeah, but they, but but I I agree I agree. But the biggest thing there with the mentor thing is that you, it's a respect thing, and mm -hmm. and I'm 28 years old, so it's it you know, and I haven't. I'm not 30 yet, so I'm. I, I, I'm very hesitant to um, suggest that I am like some mentoring. I, I have a long career ahead where I also need to um, grow in experience amongst the industry. And yeah, there could be a 14, 15, 16 year old guy that can help sort of mentor through college and and see them into the industry but i think it's quite different to a wayne must have been around 50 years old when when he took uh, if i can say it for him took me under his wing and and i feel as though that is uh definitely more of that sort of mentor kind of um age it's it's not so much age as much as it is experience but there is a certain element of respect and I, I feel as though I still feel like a kid and that I couldn't possibly be a mentor. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. in comparison, well, like, in comparison. Well, like you said, you know, for, for a, a 14 or 15 year old kid or, you know, somebody who's in your position when you, you know, got hooked up with Wayne, you know, something like that, you know, just, you know, sharing experiences. Yeah. But I think that's, that's the important thing, you know, the, of we're always, we're all on a path, you know? Absolutely. You know, like, you know, talking to Wayne um, that, you know, when he was having some uh some problems coming back from his his illness uh you know we were talking and the first thing he said yeah I, I, you know i'm, I'm gonna call bobby later today so he's gonna call bobby shoe so you know every yeah even the guy that guy has got somebody that he looks to as you know a guidance for 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 him so i think we all have so wherever we are in life there's always somebody that's behind you on the path and there's always somebody way the hell ahead of you on the <laughs> and that's the beauty of wayne Honestly, like I, I know I know a lot of great players and um and everyone you know everyone that's still great now as they've always been is always been looking, you know, what's next? How do I how do I continue to improve? But it does it does absolutely amaze me just how dedicated the guy is to continuing to you know, be one of the best in the world. And, you know, he always says how 
whenever he's in a different city, he always finds the principal trumpet player in the city and he takes a classical lesson with them. And, and he's always finding new little bits of information that he can sort of take apart. And, and, and that's the attitude, you know, that's what it is. Um, it's interesting as well, right? Because like speaking of mentorship, there are a lot of guys in this country who are nowhere near as famous as Wayne. Um, but they've mentored me obviously as a player, right? Um, but they mentored me in a, in a lot of other ways, like how to behave in the industry and how to, how to make sure that you are employable, um, and how to behave when you're at work and how not to turn up anywhere late or how to, you know, if you're not an hour early, then you're late, you know, mm -hmm. things like this, little bits that, that, um, that unless I was living in LA day to day with Wayne, like it's a different kind of mentorship and actually equally important. And that, and I almost feel like they're the sort of things that I, that if a 15 or 16 year old kid came to me in this country to chat about, it would be, you know, it would be about like, what are the actual skills right. that are required mm -hmm. to make this work as a living? Because, you know, in actual fact, you know, we're all, you know, our job is we're, we're sort of business, we're sole trader entity business people. Um, and, and you look at any other industry in the world, you know, tr trades people really, I'm talking, cause I still consider myself to be a tradesman. Um, you know, it's all competition, but the weird thing about the music industry is that it's, it's not really no one treats it like it's competition in a business way um it, it's it, there's something about having to be very very uh um how do i put it it's like a oh i don't know how i really put it it's it's you you have to part of your business <laughs> is to also be like very good mates with people that you're supposedly competing with right you know so you want to people want to go to work with you because you're a good guy and it's fun and it's good and you're a great player and obviously you've got to be all those things but these are all also people that in the traditional sense you would be competing with um if you were to be considering yourself a tradesperson so the mentorship thing is you're absolutely right like what you said at the beginning of the chat was like there are some people that are closed off to this but what i've realized in my short period in the business is that actually we're all in this together. This is not in the traditional sense, we're all competition, but we're all getting work from other people and we're all having to try and make it, all of us are trying to make it work. And it's so easy to spot the guy that isn't on that wavelength, you know, yeah. that is just, just all out for themselves. It's just so obvious and everyone is completely aware of it. So from a mental point of view, I almost feel like, that is um if you can get people to be thinking like that when they're 16 17 18 years old that that even though they might be a really good player and they might be the big fish at the moment they're about to go into a world where there are a lot of great players and um if you if you act you know the the the, the right way then you will have a good career but yeah. it, it, if 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 in a tradi in traditional sense if you were to behave in this industry like a lot of great business people would behave in different industries you won't make it it's very strange yeah. it's a very strange world um but um 
it's also lovely for that reason because everyone is rooting for each other all right. the good guys are rooting for each other and i and i, I that's why i love this industry you know yeah. so you know so. and i've had on the show uh, a couple of your mates speaking of which uh you know uh, tom walsh mm. and ryan quigley have both been on the show and right. you know and just and talking with them and about uh, you know first of all the the london the trumpet scene there in london is just insane right to me <laughs> To me, the current scene there, the, the the level of players and the quality of of stuff. I'm not saying that that you know the, the LA is not good. They're great players in LA, but I'm thinking about in terms of the the stuff that you guys are doing is kind of um, you're kind of cutting edge in a lot of ways, especially like some of the arrangements and stuff that Tom has been doing. You know, yeah. it, it's taking the stuff that that the previous generation has done, and you're kind of adding your own twist to it your own sound, your own flavor. And I think that, that this current, uh, you know, you and Tom and Ryan and, um, uh, can I remember that is Andy. Greenwood? Andy Greenwood. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the stuff that you guys are all doing, um, to me is like, okay, this reminds me of the seventies, eighties, Jerry <laughs> LA kind of thing, you know, where everything that comes out, it's like, holy crap, that was cool. Like, oh, what are they going to do next? And you start listening for that. And talking to Ryan and to Tom, they're all like, yeah, you know, we're all good mates and we like to go out and, you know, have a pint and, you know, we, we just yeah. joke around and we have a good time. And, and you know, I may play lead on this and Louie will play lead on this. And then, you know, I'll play. And, and it's like you guys work together as a team uh, and without this ego that sometimes exists in the music world of, you know, yeah you know, trying to hold things in, but I think any successful group is or like, not group, like a, a band, but like a group of people who work together. Yeah. It's about that camaraderie and that just, you know, what's, what do we need to do to get the job done the best way possible? And then yes, that's it. That is it. I mean, culturally speaking, I think, I mean, um, you know, uh, it's crazy. I, I'm, I'm about to say this, but it's like, <sighs> There aren't many trumpet players that get away without buying around <laughs> at the pub. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's true, though. Like, that is good business practice. And I, I hate to reduce it to just business. I'm not. I'm just observing um, that it's kind of interesting um, that, uh, you know, and sometimes when I'm just not up for it, I, uh, like, I'm in the car or something. I want to go home and go to bed because I'm tired or something. Like, it's still important that everyone, that we all, that, that everyone sort of uh, debriefs or pre-briefs, you know, I, I, and I, it's, it's an amazing melting pot of crazy good musicians, 90% of which no one will really across the pond necessarily heard of. Um, and I, funnily enough, I think a lot, a lot of it comes down to Tom, Tom Walsh, actually. Um, I'll just say a bit on him um, because we're contemporaries uh, but he was actually my probably my biggest mentor um, over here, um, particularly. Um, he was three years above me at the academy, so he was in his last year while I was in my first year. And we met at National Youth Jazz Orchestra. I think I must have been sixteen or seventeen, and he was twenty, twenty-one or something. And um, I took over from him as lead trumpet in that band, and um, he taught me pretty much everything I know really about playing commercial music and really attention to detail 
And I feel like that, and he mentored a lot of the younger guys going through, even people that were a bit older than him, like everyone sort of, it, not directly really, but just um, everyone had such respect or everyone has such respect for him and his ability, his musicianship is absolutely incredible. We, um, uh, you know, it, this culture sort of started flowing and pe and then we all start, started coming together and trying to make things work and we all wanted to work with it's also wanting to work with each other you know it's not it's like not it, it just doesn't seem it just seems crazy that there would be people out there that that wouldn't want to be part of that um would rather sort of do it and it's just weird to me um that's what i was saying before about it being a it's really fun like we live fun lives um uh and very very interesting lives um and it's it's already it's already to do with that camaraderie um tom yeah like a lot of trumpet players i know you know when they think about what what is important and where where your attention to detail should be it does come a lot from tom because there's absolutely no getting past that guy's ears you know it's like it's really um it's really pretty amazing um, what you can hear, and his uh, his attention to detail with his tuning and his time. It's it, it, there's absolutely no room for error, and um, and you, it holds you to a really high standard when you work with him. It's fantastic for that, um, and it's always been the case for me that every time I work with him, I'm always thinking about sort of trying to match that same that same standard. Um, uh, or like self criticism almost, you know, like really very very particular um and and then obviously i'm sure in the conversation he had with you um uh you know meeting jerry hay and actually going to do all that as well you're absolutely right it's sort of tom's kind of innovated on a lot of it and and i think it's that those skill sets that he has are or, and that we all try and sort of have are very much 2022 necessary if that makes sense like being uh a trumpet like a modern commercial trumpet player requires you to have those skill sets and they're in abundance in london and i think a lot of it is to do with everyone's mutual um uh uh everyone's mutual want to get to that point and all with the right priorities in their playing basically if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> If I had more coffee, it'd make even more sense. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but I yeah, it's it's um, it's a it. I think there's a lot of things uh, about what we're told we need to be able to do, and then a lot of things that are just simply not discussed. And things like playing in tune, of course, it's discussed, right? But right. like, to to what degree? you can get away with not playing in june um particularly with all these lockdown videos and and whenever we release anything you know tom and i have got the same attitude that literally nothing gets past us if it's if it's not perfect it doesn't go out <laughs> yeah. and you could say that that's oh that's not very purist or you could say this that but i you know i'm certainly not i'm a product over process guy um We've got unlimited time basically to spend on these things when we're releasing them under our own name mm -hmm. and and it's very important that we always show the absolute pinnacle of what we can do and and that's kind of that's 
sort of what I'm trying to say is that it, the attention to detail is such that that is the goal. Um, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not reliant on time or anything like that. But we're, I'm just very lucky to be involved in this scene, to be honest with you. It's, um, it's very cool. Very happy here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's that, um, yeah, like you could think about like LA, you know, you had the, you know, like in the, in the, the 70s, 80s, you had the Jerry Hayhorn section. So, you know, Jerry, Gary, Chuck Finley, uh, you know, now the, the modern iteration where Wayne is, is in, you know, for Jerry, um, yep. you know, you, so you get this group of people that work together and tend to work together fairly regularly uh, and have relationships with each other. And it shows in their playing, and just like there were, there were you know, new, new the New York session uh, players, like you know, guys like Alan Rubin and and Lou Soloff and Marvin Stam, yeah. guys like that, Bernie Glow, you know, and and each of those sections had their own sound and their own feel, but you could tell that they knew each other, you know, by the way by the way they played together, and and so you guys, you know, it does come out that this is more than just a collaboration you know, like a this big you know, okay well let's just find the best players and put them together uh that there's actually some level of connection and communication beyond just the fact that you're great trumpet players hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline yeah I, I yeah i think interestingly enough with that being said it's like um something that i feel there is definitely in london which i'm not suggesting isn't anywhere else but i know but i believe is very strong here is um the this idea of there being stepping stones on your path that are very close together you're not having to leap from you know um a youth band right to you know uh, a film session there there's plenty of opportunity for experience all the way that allows you to gather the information required to continue and everyone on their stepping stones most people they get to a certain point where they sit on that stepping stone um hopefully striving to the next but they tend to finish sort of somewhere on their stepping stone and they work they find their pocket and they find their rhythm in the scene around there, right? And then there are other stepping stones, but there's plenty of almost like musical mobility that you can, everyone sort of can make their living somewhere on this this road of stepping stones. And I, again, I don't want to speak for other scenes necessarily, but I just, something, I don't get the impression that that is as accessible in some other places where, you know, you get some people, a part of this I think has something to do with unions, another conversation maybe but like like you're either sort of here or like you're here and this gap here doesn't allow any space and then i think the guys that are here like over on the the sort of top end spectrum area they are they're going to be hesitant to let people jump this huge gap without having already done all of the work leading up to it whereas in london like I mean, you you think of it, literally any music as a trumpet player, you can be involved if you pursue uh, that that 
a particular road or stepping stones, there's always a next step that's close enough that you can always get to. And there's always someone on that step helping you to the next step. I really feel like that. Um, and then you get to sort of where you want to be or, or, you know, there's always something more to do. And that is really helpful um, for any young player. I, I, I believe there seems to be very many barriers in the way. If you're stuck at a barrier, it's either a problem with your playing or it's a problem with your personality or your attitude. You know, they're really the only two things. There's no one's going to really, you know, of course, every scene's got that person, right? But like, there are enough of these stepping stones of which everyone will be heard if they're good enough. Everyone. There's no, there's no, um, barriers in that respect I, I do believe that yeah that that sounds really cool you know and, and i think you're right and i mean sometimes it's also the perspective of, of the players you know it's like people have this idea that uh if you're not a successful you're not going to be a successful player unless you're playing uh you know top call studio gigs you know you're, if you're playing on you you have to be a soundtrack player you have to be you know a session player uh, if you're not doing that, then then you're not successful. But there's lots of ways to have a successful career, uh, you know. And like you're saying, all those little stepping stones along the way. You, you, you when you find your niche, when you find your groove, you know, if you can lock into that, and, and you know, because you may not be the best guy for uh, a recording date, but you may be a really great guy for doing live shows. You know, yep. so it, it's like you know, find the spot where you can be the best at what you have to offer and you know and make money with it Have there are, there are some really great trumpet players that are making a really good living um uh everyone's got their usp right and for some people it's like um i i i, I was caught don't want to come across um rude in any way to any individual player but there are there are players that you're right they have their groove and they've got their thing and for some of them their usp the unique selling point might be that their availability for that particular thing that they are known to do is so good that they can be relied upon um not even just playing but actually being there that's always a problem for fixers and contractors like so they can make a really really good career and a really really good salary by being the person that fulfills that role in the industry because everyone has to find their their place and you get these really scatty people that do a little bit of that a little bit of this a little bit of that and maybe they're less reliant than the guy who just goes right this is my this is my bag i'm going to be here you know every day or i'm going to be here for you know 90 percent of the time and i'm going to be really good for the contractor so they want to book me for the next one of these so this is where the sort of the I want to say the business side of it comes in, but no one really thinks about this. They just, as I say, they fall into their slot. They fall into their groove. They fall into their rhythm about where they belong. And there are many stages to which you can belong. I mean, just a, a side note to this, it's quite interesting. I was doing a, um, a clinic at Elmhurst College a few years ago um, in, in Illinois. And um, uh, it was for... It's really interesting. I, I found it quite difficult, the, the the clinic, because I got there. It was just last minute. Um, I was doing clinics all over Illinois. Um, and um, this one was last minute. And they had the, the whole jazz faculty there. And they said, uh, 
they said, oh, we've got the whole jazz faculty here. And the first thing I said was, right, so how many of you are trumpet players? And of the 50 people there, two people put their hands up. And I was like, okay, so where do we go with this? I've got to talk to them about, you know, uh, jazz or work or I, 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 for about half an hour, I chatted, but I couldn't quite get anything to bite with them. And, 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 um, I think maybe I was, I, I was almost at the end of it. I didn't know where I was going and suddenly someone asked a question and they watched one of the videos that I had done, um, with all the guys we talk about in my band, you know, we got together and they asked a question. They said, so how, how did you get all those great players to play for you? You know? And I hadn't even comprehended that that was even a thing. It wasn't that anyone can just call anyone to come and play on their thing. But it, what it made me realize was that maybe in London or maybe just in this industry, in these big cities, um, you know, all the guys in my band, I, I, you know, I pay them a little bit of money for my record. But for all those videos that we did, they all just did it because they wanted to. Um, and I, you know, I'll be eternally grateful for that. Um, but we did that like little let it go video or whatever. And I just called up my favorite guys, you know, to do it. And every single person said yes. And, um, and I've got to be aware that I can't, I can't forever be, uh, you know, asking for their, um, uh, for their help like that. Um, but you know, some of them will have doing it for one reason, or they wanted to actually just be part of the project. Some of them would be doing it because they wanted to help support me. Some of them were doing it because they were good friends. Some of them were doing it because they liked the music or everyone has their reason for saying yes to this. But it really made me think when that question was asked and suddenly I was off, like I could just talk about everything and, and, and the rest of the, the clinic went really well. But that, that question really made me think like, yeah, like there are a lot of players in the world and they all live in different places. Um, and I just, I think I'd just taken it for granted that, um, that, um, that I knew all these people in London at the age that I did, and they were all up for doing it and to do it for free and to enjoy doing it and not to resent me, <laughs> resent the situation. Like there all the, all these things clicked into place and that's why the tracks sound good. I also don't let any of them get away with anything as, as I'm sure you, you may <laughs> well hear from them. I'm quite, um, I'm in those sessions. I'm quite sort of that nah, you'll do it again. It's not good enough and all this. And, and they're all on board for the journey. They're all up for it. They all, well, hopefully, hopefully they all enjoy it and i'm very grateful for it but it was an interesting question from like a little town or city in illinois for guys you know probably wanting to get into the chicago scene or something like that and i, I just it just made me think like oh yeah you know very lucky and you can just call on these people and they want to do it and they live five miles away all in this like <laughs> cluster of everyone living near each other and being up for it so it's it's cool definitely yeah well you know it, it's i you know we, we were talking about like you know th that scene and you know the connection that you guys have um i and I think especially like you're talking about this workshop, okay, you're, te you're teaching the seminar uh, at, at a master class, you know, you're at a university, um, here you are in your 20s, and I'm sure that many of the faculty there uh, are much older than you. Uh, and, you know, it's like, well, and some of the students as well, which is difficult sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But, um, 
there's there's a level of maturity that you know when when I listen to the the stuff that that you guys have done, you know, both you know your your band and and you know just some of the session stuff that you guys have done and, and different projects that that you guys have been involved in. Um, there's a level of maturity of the playing and a sophistication to playing that that is beyond just chops, you know. And um, so it, it, my take on it is that you guys, uh, you know, you, you're actually you're students of jazz. So uh, you, you you're learning from the the great masters, the the the, the current masters and, and the masters of the past, you're learning from that, you're developing that language and that skill, and then you're adding your own interpretations to that. Um, so, you know, in your path along this journey, uh, you know, to to wherever you're going to end up, hopefully, you know, with, you know, multiple, multiple Grammys and uh, <laughs> and, and Academy, you know, all those <laughs> Every award, you're going to have this wall behind you. Your house will actually be made of, of gold records. Um, but um, you know, as you're as you're on this 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 progress, it, it, when you can look back at your past and say, you know what, this is a pivotal moment. This was a moment that kind of got me going on the right track. Obviously, the you know meeting Wayne was one of them. But but what was like kind of the the general one for you? That's like this is this is the moment where I really understood that jazz is important to me that music is important to me and this is this is going to be the passion that i'm going to carry forward uh so that's a nice question i um i sort of felt it's, it's this isn't going to be a particularly straight answer again but i i sort of fell into it, uh, so over here we have a few different music schools um private education uh, my mother uh, uh, raised us on her own uh, me and my two sisters and she managed to get all of us she's a music teacher she managed to get all of us into Wells Cathedral School which is a specialist music school um, and um, uh, with like high fees and everything and we all we all got in on scholarships and um, and my and my mum could send us there, which was amazing because we didn't have very much money and we went boarding and she was so happy to be able to take us there. And I had just the most amazing musical education there. And then the other music school that I attended called the Purcell School, which is in Watford, where I, I live now, um, just outside London. And it's weird. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot um, quite when I was younger, I used to like spend a lot of time, a bit geeky, just playing Flight Simulator 98. <laughs> like, and I always wanted to be like an airline pilot. Um, but I was quite good at the trumpet and it, it just sort of, I, it's not a very good answer, but it just sort of flowed. Like I had all this, all this experience at school that I got still youth experience. So it's not real, really. It's, it's just opportunities to play and have really good tuition um, to help you sort of get get to get to a, an, another level. And then when when I was um, 16, I I started playing with the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, which was a really big deal because I met Tom and I also met Callum Al, who um, was my best man and um, also uh, writes all the music for me because he's a genius. Um, and I started meeting people at those places and then it, it was just sort of no way back. I mean, I started earning money playing 
not a lot, but it was enough. You know, I earned enough money playing at 16 that I didn't need to get. I never worked a job, which I kind of feel a bit ashamed about. Um, I also feel a little bit. I feel a little bit sad that I've never done a job. Um, uh, uh, I'm not ungrateful, but I'm also very aware that um, a lot of people have to do things that they don't want to do in order to make things work. I, I'm, I, I appreciate that I have always been able to do this, but there was no time to do a job and I was earning enough money as a kid playing that any minimum wage job that I was going to fill up time with outside of my studies wasn't, wasn't really going to make any sense. So I just never did it. Some people do vapor rounds. Some people do, you know, they work in a shop or I work at McDonald's or something like that just to get some work experience. And I, I just didn't. So, um, I guess I was really lucky like that. Uh, but that's what I mean. It just kind of fell into place. There was no time to think about being a pilot. <laughs> and that, 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 that whole dream of mine of being a pilot when I was younger was more of a sort of uh, pre 10 years old thing. And I started playing the trumpet when I was seven or eight. So um, it just kind of fell into place. And then after I played in the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, I um, I started playing with the Sid Lawrence Orchestra. I was just, just at, there was just no question at any point that I wouldn't do this. Um, I always used to get asked when I was at school, you know, you need to make sure you've got yourself a backup plan. And maybe it's a little irresponsible saying this on a, on a podcast, but just being honest, like I never, <laughs> I never considered a backup plan. Um, uh, maybe that's not smart, but I didn't. I, uh, I didn't believe that throwing myself at this 90% was going to be enough, had to be a, at least 100 um that's not to say that i didn't waste a lot of time as a teenager as well i certainly did like any teenager does but uh and i still waste time um <laughs> half time i can't get my act together but it's still a. it it just it just why would i ever not want to go and play in a rehearsal band with a bunch of adults at 16 years old opposite my school um on a monday night Get, I didn't get paid anything for it, but why would I not do that? And that opportunity presented itself to me, not the other way around. So someone hears that there's a kid who plays at the Purcell School and they want, and they're missing a trumpet player. Um, oh, we'll see if he's around because he's only got to walk literally over the road and we can't get anybody else to come and do this rehearsal. So why not ask him? And then that turns into starting to go every week. And then that turns into, oh, one of the trumpet players on there had a gig. Um, and he's, you know, ill or whatever. So why don't we give it to this young kid? And then, as I say, these stepping stones just, they just start and you can't get off them. I mean, it, I, there was never one pivotal moment that said, you are going to be a trumpet player. You know, um, if anything, I'm like, uh, I'm not suggesting for a second, I'm not going to play anymore. But like, I'm looking at my life now. Um, I've got a young baby. I'm married. Um, I'm looking at all the other things and I'm thinking, I haven't, Having to sort of like get off the stepping stone. COVID was good for this, actually. Get off the stepping stone and re realize the other things in life that I actually really like and really love and want to get better at. Like I'm really into working with my hands, doing DIY. I built this studio on my own, basically, I, over COVID. And I realized that I am also something else other than just like a trumpet player. Um, that sort of manifested itself in working in production, but even just outside of music, carpentry, things like that, 
um uh i was so on this you know this conveyor belt almost it was just something that got exponentially faster after i left school i went to the academy and then it was just this you know obviously this is the next thing you do after that and then you do this and then you do this and then it just got, kept getting more and 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 um i loved it and i and i still love it and i still love going to work and i always will um but covid was good to just sort of get off and 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 just think a little bit about the other things in my life that i didn't realize i liked and um that's why there's no pivotal time for me it's kind of it was just a it was just a barrage of of like forward momentum um that you know i, I feel like half the time I'm, i feel like half the time you know i could be doing a lot more to help progress my career as maybe in inverted commas a soloist or an artist or something but i still consider myself very much to be a tradesman trumpet player like the thing i enjoy most is just being in the section with my mates more than i like being out front on stage you know being the being the clown at the front playing what ends up usually being high notes and jumping around conducting a band it's great fun but being a band leader is a very different prospect to being a being one of the guys in the section and yeah. i just sometimes i've got to take myself away and put my on one of those sorts of experiences and just go stand with my mates at the back <laughs> You know, with the other trumpet players i just feel so much better there you know so that's why i don't release content as much as i probably should because it's there's a reluctance to move away from it's not a reluctance like i don't again it's not a reluctance that i don't enjoy it or that i don't think that that is the way that my career will end up going because it probably will i think the earning potential ceiling is higher as well than just being a tradesman trumpet player not to be disrespectful to tradesman trumpet players but i clearly do something that people on the internet like and i should probably lean into that I'm aware of that but at the same time as i say i have i have a reluctance to do it because i just enjoy too much the going to work with my friends basically because as soon as you're a band leader you're not their friends anymore <laughs> very, very true uh, actually you know I, i'm uh, reading a book right now uh by uh by a brit uh greg McEwen, i believe is his name it's called essentialism it's okay. an interesting book and, it, and it's about uh it, it's it's mostly a business book but it applies to all aspects of life about uh going yeah, kind of getting things down to their most essential nature um so like for careers of you know you don't have to say yes to everything because when you say yes to something you're saying no to it to everything else and it's like being very super clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish and only embracing those things uh so like you know we're talking about people who uh you know if you make yourself available for a specific type of gig then you're always going to be available for that type of gig but if you make yourself available for every gig then you're going to start losing out on some things because you're spread so thin so yep. i think that you know that kind of getting clear on and you know this is the clarity that comes as we age and not saying that you're, you're you know you're young but you're young uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't feel like it anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean you know it's like you go through these stages in life so you know where you are right now is, is entering your 30s and where you're going to be 30 years from now you know those are going to be different things because you're going to have so many different experiences to draw from but as we go through life uh you know there are always going to be these points where you kind of go oh well you know that was important to me when i was 25 
it's not as important to me right now. And, you know, you start to grow as a person and, and, um, you know, so I think that as, as that can, like you just, you know, figured out for yourself that there are other things to life that you need to, to spend some time and energy on besides just, you know, pounding out the double C's. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely deal. agree. <laughs> so, yeah, I, and I, I think, I think that, that sometimes that's the hardest part for, for anybody is to understand that what you do is not who you are. You know, it's, yes. a, it's part of who you are, but it's, it's not who you are. Yes. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> it's funny you should say that because I, yeah, this, relu this reluctance to go crazy and just make videos all day is I, I, I think I want to be going i think i want to be going towards that generally it's also nice because i get to work from home which uh, you know if there's anything good about covid anything um it's the ability for employers and people in the world to recognize that people can work from home um Absolutely. and with a young child it's quite nice to be able to you know work in bits and go down you know I basically i live at the end of the garden here working and my wife and my baby live in the house so i can i can go down the garden and and, and um make sure they're okay and then go out for lunch with them. It's, it's just a not, it's a really nice, I don't even consider it solitary because really, everything's on the internet now anyway, but it's a really not, I just really like this right now. I like this. Um, but I, I should probably a be aiming more towards that. But you know, the other thing is I, I am, when I when you say like you know you're you're almost thirty now and what will you be doing in thirty years time? Everything that I think about what I will be doing in thirty years time is is more like where my life is rather than where the trumpet is, which which is a little bit um yeah I there's a there I, I, it's almost like my head my, I'm thinking I, you can always get better at the trumpet. It's, I guess it's this question as well, isn't it? It's, um, do you want to be, do you want to fulfill your potential on something, you know, to 102%? Um, or do you want to be really, really good or 80% of your potential on lots of things? There's some, there's something that Callum told me about where it takes you um, 80, it takes you, what is it, 20% of your time? 80% of your time to reach the first 20, 20% 20 of the time to reach the first 80% of your potential in any skill. And then 80% of the time to, to get the last 20%, <laughs> something like that. Right. And it just, that last bit of whatever it is you're doing, it gets a, the, 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 how good you get at something just gets to, to get better at it. It just takes more and more and more time and more and more focus and more and more energy and more and more concentration. And there's like a lot of things in the world. <laughs> Yeah. And as I said to you before, when I was talking about how I ended up becoming a trumpet player and there was one moment that told me I was going to do it, it's like that never came. So it's almost a case of now like reflection on the last 10 years and recognizing all those moments, like tons of them and realizing how they all sort of passed me by and I didn't realize where I really where I was. Um, and then you look on like, I mean, you look on like, uh, this is a conversation maybe about sort of popularity or the world now is just basically about likes, you know, or views. And I don't, 
my attitude towards that still remains the same it's sort of going slightly off topic but it it, it kind of makes sense it depends on what your goals are i i'm very much as i said before a product over process guy and i i'm not or i'm I imagine this will change over the next 30 years, put it that way. Right now, I see um, a world of consumerism, and I think that uh, it makes more, maybe a bit more business sense. And also, I like, you know, I can't lie, I like the idea that people like the stuff I produce. A lot of the things that we're taught, particularly when I was at college, a lot of it was about your voice, your sound your 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 inner musician your artist coming out and you do everything for you it's this it's quite self-centered almost jazz generally is and it's it a lot of it is about you expressing yourself and then the audience either taking to that or not and that's why we have thing you know some people are more popular than others musically and all that anyway i i kind of i i saw a, a slightly different way like um so there's this cool tune that like loads and loads of people like um no one's really done it this way maybe we can do it this way um and interestingly enough the things that i found most moving about that whole process is actually when when i've had messages off um like loads of kids who like the music and actually want to get into playing because they've heard their favorite song done by trumpet or trombone or whatever and right now that feels more satisfying than me showing the world like i don't as i say i keep saying time and time again i consider myself more of a tradesman rather than something that i don't feel as i have i have skills to offer the world but from like an artistic point of view it doesn't feel like i'm sort of bringing my heart and soul out and showing it to everyone it's more like um not but yeah i guess yeah what is popular and how do i do it my way and um people like it i mean i didn't think they would like i had no idea but i think people like it i mean i'm no i'm no uh massive youtube guy in in the scheme of things and i'm very very grounded and aware of that it's like a lot of people think that i have a lot of views um <laughs> when you see the the you know the world and how many people you know tend to get like it's minute in comparison but i think in the trumpet world it's probably quite high and um that i think over the next 30 years my opinion on that will change i think i will become a little bit more like uh in a i'll probably be looking a little more inwards and rather than outwards i could be wrong but i that's gen generally how i see things that like younger people at the moment anyway they sort of think about how they can sort of get everything out to the world and i see people releasing their own tracks onto youtube with no marketing you know and it gets no views and it feels like they failed because it doesn't have the same view count as someone that's uploaded their version of let it go or something and it it's just unfortunate that that is how the people in the world consume this music and i almost feel like it's as i say one of the most moving things about this whole process has been you know and the comeback players have gone 
oh wow i saw that video of yours you know it's made me want to pick the trumpet up again yeah. it's completely different to what i do as a tradesman where i'm playing just with my my other colleagues and we're playing with and people don't really care about what we're doing because we're just doing it for function or something like that you know it, it's a very different thing and i could have said oh, i'm only going to do my music my way this particular but actually it, it's um it, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with you today had I not made that decision. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Like earlier, I was, I was mentioning like the Quincy Jones thing, you know, and, and uh, actually, so the two books that I've, I've just recently, you know, been reading the Quincy Jones and this Greg McKeown book, um, yeah. they really tie in with this. That um, you know, when you make that decision, and this is a path you're going to go on. Um, you know, that, that creates that, that more narrow gap, which allows you to focus your energy into it more. And, and one of the things that, I, that Q was talking about, uh, you never know the amount of influence that you have on someone else, and especially as someone in the entertainment industry, as, as an artist or whatever, that, uh, you know, you, you can touch the life. So if, if a comeback player or, or a young, you know, like there's a young kid who's listening to it and they, they go, wow, you know, because you're playing a song they like, and then it inspires them to want to be a, a, you know, more focused on the trumpet playing. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, they're, you know, an international star and they've got thousands of students and that person goes on to teach thousands of students. So that one yeah. that you made creates this kind of global impact. Um, so, but I think the other thing is, is like the essentialist kind of point of view is being clear on what it is you're trying to do and understand that there's a trade-off to it and just be, and be good with that trade-off, you know, saying, you know, Hey, look, if I'm going to be an artist and I've heard this from so many different sources, yeah. that if you're going to be an artist, then, uh, be prepared to not make any money until after you're dead. So, you know, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. These things are not compatible and try doing it and be British. Right. And I know that there is a culture in Britain of self-deprecation and putting yourself at the bottom and showing that you hate everything you do. Um, and that is very much a part of the tradesman side of things. Right. Um, your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease the last thing that anyone wants to do in the business in the in the in the playing industry side of things is to ever come across as though you like anything you do yourself <laughs> like you're you're consciously on guard as to make sure you're saying the right thing so that you're not up you know you're not coming across like you know it, it's it, it's a fine line between confidence and ego you know and we talked about that at the beginning mm -hmm. but they're not compatible because if you don't throw yourself at the artist thing and believe fundamentally and truly that you are someone that can touch the lives of how many hundreds of thousands of people that check your stuff out, it's very difficult because it feels like you're living a lie.
and that i've never spoken about this on a podcast before but that is definitely like something i'm very aware of i have a bubble of friends i have a bubble of um uh i like how things are in my life and i don't know how risk what my risk appetite this is a bit weird but it's my risk appetite to changing that too much so i've sort of put some videos out and i love that and i also love my day-to-day -day life that i do as a trumpet player and i'm i feel very torn this essentialism thing i'm gonna have to read it because um uh it might be exactly the sort of material i need to read because it just doesn't None of it feels that compatible, being able to be both um, a self-deprecating <laughs> trumpet working Brit who just likes to have a pint with their mates and plays and does gigs and does sessions and, and, and enjoys being part of the group and playing it, and then being the guy that tells everyone what they need to do, where and when, holds a sort of like personality like internet personality like just speaking to the camera after a video is like that is a skill are you trying to sit i mean you're very very good at it you know you present shows but just speaking to the camera and saying what you need to do some of those videos take me hours to be eloquent enough to speak in a way that's engaging to say the right things the right length not too long not too short it's a whole other skill it's got nothing to do with playing the trumpet you know, yeah. when I go, whenever I go and do any of these solo gigs, I haven't even thought about playing, not even a bit. You know, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say on stage. I'm thinking about how I'm going to um, make sure that everyone in my band is having the best time they can possibly be having because I want them to come back and work for me again. Because I know also what it's like to be the guy in the band. Yeah. So it, it, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's like this trade off this weird non compatibility and this sort of weird lie it feels like i'm living a lie when i'm doing the other one and i try and overlap them because i want to have the attitude that i have in the tradesman side of things and but they don't work you you have to you, it's almost like you have to be a different person and at some point i think i'm going to have to commit <laughs> to one or the other i'm just not quite ready to do it <laughs> yeah well, i mean so like one of my one of my favorite players of all time, Maynard Ferguson. You know, uh, if you're a trumpet player, especially if you're a yeah. beat player, you got to love Maynard. Um, mm. But um, yeah, everybody I've talked to that that played with Maynard, you know, people like Wayne Roger. Recently had um, Lynn Nicholson on the show, and, and Lynn nice. and I had really great conversations both on and off camera uh, about his time with Maynard. Um, but May I think Maynard was was great in the fact that uh, not only because he was a great player, but you know, coming up through the ranks, you know, playing, uh, you know, with Kenton Band and, and uh, Charlie Barnett and all that sort of stuff, so, uh, doing the session work in L.A., uh, and then fronting his own band, um, like, it, it seemed to me that he never lost that character of being part of the ensemble. And, yeah. you know, even though, yeah, it was his show and he was a great showman, uh, he still always wanted to bring the focus and attention back to his band you know? yeah um and so it was it was taking those experiences of his past and letting that uh as he as he eventually evolved into a front man uh using those experiences from the back of the bandstand to drive how he conducted himself 
and conducted the business of the band. So, you know, absolutely. I mean, I wish that there was space for another touring band and I wish that I could get all, all the guys. I mean, the guys that are in my band, uh, are all very good earners. Um, and I would love to be able to take them on tour and have them earn as much money as they would if they weren't on tour. Um, maybe it'll be possible one day for a, a short period even um and people will be up for it but the using maynard as an, as an example is really interesting because um some would say maybe we share similar skill sets in different eras um uh maynard was the greatest of all time in my opinion um but if you look at the way that maynard's career developed um i mean you know, with respect to Maynard, I think most of my fellow trumpet player, like really great trumpet player friends, would always look back to 50s and early 60s Maynard as being their favorite. Um, that's not to say that nothing after that was great, because it absolutely was. But it's it's a really interesting topic because he was clearly moving his I mean I never worked for him you've spoken to a million like tons of people that have worked that did work for him so this is more speculation than anything else or observation um, of what it seemed to be but he went down the more popular route and it's sort of what I've suggested as well um, and the later you go in his career the further he is away from that tradesman maybe not mentality but from that tradesman lifestyle. Right. And it's that bubble that I'm talking about, about my life as a musician, um, uh, that I'm hesitant to um, risk um, changing. I know a few trumpet players who have gone on to become musical directors, have come on to be composers, um, have come on to be producers. And it never, it, it never feels quite like it was before. And I'm, and it, at some point that that's a, that's a question that I need to I'll answer my, in my own head, mm -hmm. um, as to how best to accomplish all those goals. Um, and, um, yeah, it's really fast. It's a really fascinating thing. I imagine it happens in all areas of life as well, you know, not just in music. It's quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we got deep there. <laughs> no, man, man. Well, I, I tell you what, I would be remiss if I didn't at least like quickly touch on the subject because I know I, I will get tons of crap on on uh, YouTube <laughs> if I don't at least say something about your your uh, high chops. Um, okay. So, but I'm not going to ask this, the typical question. Um, I guess it's kind of a, a multiple part question. So it's like, um, yeah, you you are kind of to me one of the the best examples of a highly efficient player. I mean, we, I look at you playing; I can't tell whether you're playing a, a middle C or, or or double C. Um, so, did that uh, that level of efficiency was that something that you you somewhat stumbled on, uh, or is it something that you really had to craft? Uh, an approach that that gave you that level of of command of the the upper register. Um, my old question, my old answer to this question would have been, um, anyone can do it. Uh, you just need to 
um, discover the correct way that suits you. And my new answer to the question is, um, I believe that anatomy has more to do with this than I feel comfortable with. <laughs> and and um, there are similarities between a lot of high note, like people that can play high notes, uh, a lot of similarities in their anatomy that assists in their ability to be more efficient. Um, that's not to suggest that you can't strive to be the most efficient trumpet player you can be. And that doesn't also mean that you cannot offer anything without being efficient. But there are many things on the trumpet I can't do. Um, and they don't require you to be highly efficient. Sorry. Yeah. They don't require you to be highly efficient. I just think it's that the thing that I've stumbled across is my unique selling point as a player. And one of the reasons that people like me as a player uh, is that I'm, it, it is that I think my anatomy allows me to be a bit more efficient than the average. I, I didn't used to think that, um, but the more I've got into it, the more I do. Um, did I stumble across it? Uh, I mean, I always wanted to sound like Wayne Bergeron, so there was there was a clear goal. Did I? Um, <clears throat> how? I mean, I worked towards it, and I always had that sound concept. We're going to talk about that in a bit, I think. But I had that sound concept in my head, and it, and over time, it it figured itself out over a series of light bulbs and discoveries. Um, but I, I do think that uh, having become, uh, uh, having taught many more people than I had previous, and it wasn't my teaching necessarily that, that told me this as much as what affects my students chops compared to what affects mine. Um, did I realize that, uh, that anatomy has a lot to do with it. Um, when I play a double C and when anyone else in the world plays a double C, the, the same thing is happening. Um, our lips are vibrating at, um, I can't remember how many times it is a second, but it's some silly high number. Um, and that never changes. But how we conceptualize it and how we get to that, everyone has their own way of thinking about it. Um, I don't believe that you truly master the, at least from my point of view, right? I don't think that you truly master playing in the upper register if the only way you can play it is loudly. That is not to suggest that there aren't some of the best lead slash high note players in the world that can, that, uh, that therefore are not masters. But my point of view, if I can't play the notes quietly, I'm not in control of what I'm doing. Um, and I didn't learn that way. Uh, I think I could have learned even faster if I had thought about it like that. Um, <clears throat> but it's a case that really what we're trying to do is put the air under a huge amount of pressure while also maintaining, you know, uh, good health in the body because it's quite a lot of energy. Um, and uh, and you know, high air pressure with the correct environment 
um, here on the chops and and where like if if um as where i'm trying to get to if i'm tr if the reason i would practice the the high notes quietly <clears throat> is because if i can't create high air pressure and make play the note quietly with no excess air in the sound then it's not efficient simple as that a lot of the reason people struggle with efficiency or um, any of this is because um, of this age-old conversation about airspeed um, and how apparently increasing the airspeed um, makes the note go higher. Um, it's not right. Uh, actually, it is right, but it's not what we should be thinking about. If you increase the airspeed and then you um, reduce the whole, you if you increase the airspeed by blowing harder, you are putting the air under more pressure if you don't change the rest of the environment, i.e. at the front of the mouth, right, just going into the mouthpiece. So you will create a higher air pressure, but it's not a particularly creative way of creating higher air pressure. Um, it's just simply turning the engine on higher and then not making any other um, changes. I. I'm always looking for air to be the last of my concerns. Um, if I'm having to turn the tap up to make me go higher, then I'm not doing something else right. If I have to turn the tap up to go louder, that's correct. If that makes sense. You turn the engine up to go louder and you you are more creative with where you create compression. And people have this word, they use this word compression all the time and no one really knows what it means. It's the same with the word support. When the classical players used to tell me to support, and I used to just like, you know, pretend that I was trying to show off my six pack or something like, oh, like this, you know, like that's support. Oh yes, so supported. And like I was holding everything back with my throat and people got tense. Playing the trumpet, particularly in the upper register, is tense. <laughs> Like, there's no two ways about it. If I look like I'm not doing very much, um, there certainly is a lot going on. But, um, you know, if it looks easy, it tends to sound easy. You know, that's the way I see it. Um, uh, and if it sounds easy, it tends to look easy. If it sounds hard, it tends to look hard. You see where I'm going with this. But <clears throat> that's my my approach is one of of control. I, I don't practice. I don't honestly don't really practice it like this. I don't really practice the upper register a huge amount anymore unless I need it for a solo gig. Um, but I use these thoughts and things like this as a diagnostic tool to make sure that my muscle memory is still in, in um, like it's there. I've just been on vacation for eight days to Cyprus and I haven't played in eight days and I got back a couple of days ago and I, and I needed to start playing again. And it's, you know the muscle memory is the first thing to disappear all the thoughts in your mind don't go but the muscle memory goes and the only way you can really get get that back by is just by playing as much as you can um and i i use these things of trying to play in the upper register very quietly as a diagnostic tool to make sure that everything's working um but it's it's a sad conversation the anatomy one i do i didn't used to think that like i think everyone can play a double c but just how efficiently they can play it 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 really is, you know. That, I look someone like John Faddis is probably one of the most efficient trumpet players ever. 
you know um we share similar you know our teeth aren't exactly the same but i think the i think that the function that our teeth are doing is is kind of similar and there are other trumpet players that i know that have got very different teeth structures and they play the trumpet very differently um and they probably have you know better control in different areas of the horn you know like that's the other thing to just recognize that you know i'm kind of i'm a student of not of doc reinhardt obviously but like of that mentality um i i i sort of believe that that's what's going on um and the embouchure type thing is just definitely a thing it's just a thing um uh that's a whole other conversation but so what what it, type are you <laughs> i think i'm a four you're a four okay good um I'm, I'm technically i'm a two but are you a two wow okay that's kind of rare but yeah four yeah i know what you mean um uh i am a four a slash three b and um i when i when i started with reinhardt i was definitely a 4a slash 3b and then i uh once i started taking lessons and learning to do everything properly about 18 months ago i tried to be a 4a all the time and actually what i think's ended up happening is i've turned into possibly a 3b all the time with the intention of being upstream so i i don't know whether i'm upstream or downstream i'm I have weird chops like that. There are some people that you just go 3A, 4, like so obvious, you know. Um, but that's where I think it can be really helpful. It's like, okay, well, you're going to have tendencies like this. Um, I was just teaching a student now, actually, with the 3A, and he said, oh, why after I go to a double G, when I go higher than that, why does my sound get smaller? It's like, well, most 3As, after their best note, tend to get smaller, just tend to. And then three Bs is sort of the opposite. The higher you go, the louder you get. <laughs> because, you know, but it's much harder for you to play high, generally. Yeah. So, because the, the air pressure is not, it, it's not as easy to create high air pressure. I've been working on this theory recently, actually, I should probably just mention, like, about, um, <clears throat> it's a, it's kind of a, it, it's sort of a Reinhardt-y thing, uh, but it's my take on it. Uh, and it's a conversation about Reinhardt's legs uh, of the inner embouchure. I think um, so much of what we do on the trumpet, it's a little different to class, uh, uh, trombone players and people with bigger mouthpieces, some classical players, and people with smaller lips. I think also people with big lips compared with people with small lips, this is different. But the my whole thing when I play is like, how much of the lip can i get out of the cup you know how i play relatively small diameter and my lips are quite big and i have to roll them under like this and then i have to sort of pull them out of the cup before i start playing and i was thinking about this and i was looking at a lot of great like high note players and all of them do the same thing and then you look at a lot of really great classical players and uh, particularly the ones who play on bigger equipment, which is most of them. Um, and also, even more importantly, the ones that have like thinner lips. They can sort of walk the mouthpiece on and then they have control on the inside of the cup. 
um, and that they can use their muscles on their face to determine the aperture size. I have no way of determining my aperture size after I put the mouthpiece on. I, it just doesn't, I can't think like, you know, like using my muscles, like my muscles have nothing really to do with air pressure. A lot and a lot of people when they think oh to make more compression or more air pressure which are the two same they're the same things really that they need to use the muscles in their face to fight the engine the engine's playing and then they need to bite down to make this fight really hard and then what they do after that is that they open their jaw because they're told oh you've got to stay open though so they open their jaw then they push their muscles down to try and stop the air from coming out of their mouth because they think that that will make the note go higher and then their body is under the air is under more pressure but everything is out of sync and messed up my approach is sort of different it's like the lips if you want to play loud have to be open pretty open if you want to play high they are a lot more closed but still relatively open but the jaw isn't and the lips can be open but the jaw doesn't necessarily need to be and when the mouthpiece goes on and it squashes the lips into the teeth whatever aperture size you've got there is sort of what you're dealt with until you take the mouthpiece off your face and put it back on and in you know Reinhardt it's supposed to be the same every single time you play and I strive to do that but the actual the aperture size is so much more um it's so much more sympathetic to what the air is putting over the lips than I think we have a huge amount of control over it doesn't it it's it just doesn't feel like I ever think about the aperture size when I'm playing I don't think about it it's just sympathetic to all of the other things in my muscle memory that are happening so the reason I'm saying that is I think I could be wrong, but I think I generate most of my compression or my air pressure from right at the front of my mouth between my bottom lip and my top teeth. Like I'm saying the letter F. And and that is the difference. I'm not saying the letter M. I'm saying the letter F. And the top lip comes down to meet the bottom lip. But the the speed of the air is already fast because I'm using my lip into my teeth, not using my lip into my lip. So the so the back part of my bottom lip is going into my top teeth, and the and the top lip is meeting the bottom lip, and the and the vibration is happening after just after that. And that's where I think my air pressure is coming from or I also like when I'm playing high like my tongue is like right forwards and high in my in my mouth you know like I do think that that's important um but I'm pretty sure that most of the compression is happening at the front and that is so dependent on your anatomy because I mean I can't close my teeth they don't shut so uh my molars you know they close first and then my top and bottom teeth don't connect so I technically I can play with my teeth closed. I don't play with my teeth closed, but technically I can, and that must have an impact on um, uh, what's actually happening here compared to someone like a 3A who most of the time they have uh, uh, shorter top teeth and 
their lips align with um, the top of their bottom teeth as opposed to the the the, uh, the top of their top teeth. If you see my lips in resting position, I don't know whether this is being filmed, but my my lips don't that everything has to be pulled down to align with the the distance between my teeth rather than it already being sat there so three a's are, are very very different players and i feel like they almost need just different teachers i don't think you know if you've got a good idea of it all you know you can teach three a's if you're three b or a four but i think they're playing the trumpet in such a different way um and that's why going right back to the beginning of this conversation i'm very hesitant to give generic tips to trumpet players on the internet when I, <laughs> when I haven't seen them play anything because so many things can mess you up you oh know? yeah absolutely i mean uh you know it, for those of you who are not hip to the reinhardt stuff you know certainly there's a lot of resources uh but um you know being a a four uh that you know doc always said and, and all of his, his his students said you know if you're a four do not play pedal tones you know pedal yeah. tones will will mess you up and i used to play a lot of pedal tones and uh you know the 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 pivot you know since the 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 the, the track i guess yeah. is the best way of saying it the track of my playing being uh to ascend is down and because of the way my jaw is structured it's down diagonally it's, it's from up to diagonally across um i was trying to play the exact opposite yeah you know? yeah I, I had teachers who told me no you need to do this 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 and it was the exact opposite of what my body needed to do to create the the level of of uh compression and open that balance of openness and compression um yeah. so yeah you know i i think that that's why i love the the reinhardt uh method is that it takes into account that there are these more predictable uh, types of players and that, you know, what worked for one will be absolutely the worst thing for another. So you have to first determine what type you are so that you can give the best advice. So yeah, yes. that, that's why, and it's so true with anything, you know, it's like, yes, yes there are general rules, uh, like, you know, blow into the small end of the horn, not the big end. So we can take that. <laughs> but then everything else is a, somewhat a level of, uh, you know, your anatomy and your experiences and things like that. And so uh, you can, I, I always like to give things out with a caveat saying, you know, this may or may not work for you, but here's something. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I'm also hesitant to give any uh, advice on this podcast is to making well, actually that's that's not true if anyone's interested in the best way of practicing the upper register is just stop this is my opinion right stop climbing the ladder stop arpeggios from the low register to the high register you know i've never in my life had to go you know every single time i play in the upper register it's tongued you know or not every time but the vast majority of the time coming on a high f you know it's not you don't get a run up to it and the run up to it's probably messing up your ability to play the high f in the first place in the most efficient way that is because you know i <clears throat> i believe that a high c played fortissimo has the same aperture size as a middle c played pianissimo right 
So you're having to change all these things about your aperture size from big to small as you go higher before you've even played the note. So you can't even get the right sensation on the high note without, you know, having to run up to it. So start tonguing in the upper register. It might not come straight away, but you'll find that it that it really helps your ability to play up there. Um, and the other thing is you're probably playing a mouthpiece that's too big for you, Gen generally speaking, um, like most people are. If they've never changed mouthpiece, like that can be one of the just the 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 quickest fixes. I, no, that's not true. It wouldn't be the quickest fix. But if you're someone that should be playing on high compression equipment, i.e. small diameter generally, like it can be the difference between you being able to play everything and nothing. Um, and so many people just are so stubborn about that and they'll just play on their 3C or their 1.5C that they got when they were a kid and then they think they can do everything. It's like, no. The anatomy is not going to allow you to do Your anatomy won't allow you to do that. It's just not the whole the trumpet is just a big compromise you know it's you've got if you want to get better at one thing something else is going to suffer um it's not to suggest you can't keep a level like a standard all the way over your playing but you know your flexibility suffers after you've had a couple of periods of playing in the upper register because your muscles have now um your muscles and your muscle memory and your sensations are are too um and I put it uh, too in line with with that sound and and that feeling, and you you have to reset, you know, and 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 go again. It's a it's a really hard instrument, <laughs> really yeah. hard. And that's why we spend a lot of time at the pub. So. Yeah, too right. <laughs> All right, Louis. I mean, man, I, we could talk about this stuff forever, but uh, I do need to get through these uh, these segments real quick and and yeah. so let you off this call. Uh, so uh, this is the first segment is uh, brought to us by uh, our good friend Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones, and this is called Sound Off, and it's about your approach to sound. Uh, and I think uh, more more than than uh, you know just the standard thing is like uh, when when you're suggesting to someone when you're working with one of your students on how to develop uh, a better sound concept, and particularly if we're thinking about sound in the upper register, uh, what are the some some of the things that that you suggest thinking about uh, to improve the quality of your sound? That's a good question. I um, I'm hesitant uh, to suggest that bigger is better. Um, I, I think a com a, a sound a sound that is um, adaptable is a better sound um so often do we have to not sound like ourselves at work we are not asked to be louis dowdswell today we're asked to be sample x or can you sound like miles davis on this can you sound like clark terry on this and sound concept is it's it's a it's a constantly changing thing um again sound is very anatom anatomy based uh, so much of it is what you know the mouth cavity the vibrations happening in your head um actually so much less of it is the mouthpiece and the trumpet as much as it is that um because most people sound pretty much the same on all gear it's just only if you A, B them next to each other that you'll notice a difference in sound. 
which is why I'm also sort of not too concerned about listening for sound too much on instruments. The sound guy's got more control over your sound than you do. It's why adaptability of sound is so important. If you have bad sound quality in the first place, I don't even really know what that means because, you know, there are plenty of particularly jazz great legends that by um by uh classical standards or by um standards set by uh traditional trumpet thinking um have in you know they have in inverted commas bad sounds they have air in their sounds they've got you know they they have like croakiness sometimes um that doesn't make them have a bad sound in my opinion um you, you've got to, in 2022 you must be adaptable i hate the word versatility it's a word i grew up with um uh my classical teachers telling me i needed to be versatile and um it, you know it, it's it's about being adaptable to the scenario you're in so listen to lots of people check out like try and copy them and your sound will be what it will be there's not a huge amount of control you have over it i'm convinced of that you can change it by changing your equipment you can change it by striving to be a different player than you currently are but you have way less control over these things than you think you do um we hear so many things and we want to sound a particular way yet we always sound it's like our voice i have really no control over my voice i really don't um you know my wife is an opera singer and i bet she didn't sing like that when she was younger so she's trained her voice and she can always think to look to improve resonance and things like that and i agree that's completely still the case on the trumpet you can improve your resonance you can you can think about that but the but the reality is is that what you end up with is unfortunately what you got but more importantly than that if you can make yourself not sound like you that's almost a better skill than being only able to sound like you um we must be able to hear another sound copy it reproduce it understand the differences and the nuances in it um i mean uh, without going too much on a tangent, I, you know, Till Brunner has got the most beautiful trumpet sound I think I've ever heard. Um, and he can play in very, like in a lot of different ways. It always sounds like Till, but, you know, he can, he can turn that air switch on and it just sounds unbelievably beautiful. And then he can turn the air switch off. So he's got a very adaptable sound all within his own sphere mm -hmm. of sound um right. what i'm suggesting is that you know you can also listen to other players and 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 come up with how you think they all sound and try and be them it's it's a it's a funny thing i hope that's helpful <laughs> that's good for me <laughs> uh our, our next segment is uh called geared up and geared up is about gear of course and is brought to us by uh, venture mouthpieces venture where technology design and craftsmanship intersect use the code uh, trumpet gurus 21 to get 10% off your order. So uh, this, you know, the gear question, but, you know, again, like, I don't like to do the standard thing, um, but your approach to gear, you know, 
why it's more about why do you play what you play and how do you view the relationship between uh the gear and the player okay um so first of all i'd like to um say thank you to yamaha um i'll get that out of the way they, they've been amazing um and i i'm a yamaha artist and they um they look after me very very well um and um i would encourage anyone to go out and try any instrument but i do believe that Yamaha have the best quality trumpets, um, uh, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> however, um, your question was about why I play these trumpets and and the GR mouthpiece that I have. The GR mouthpiece that I have is like a custom fit suit that I that I had that GR made for me in Wisconsin. Um, so I'm very very lucky to have that. Um, uh, and the trumpet I have, so I have a like I have a very close relationship to my mouthpiece that I'm playing at any given time. Before this mouthpiece, I, which I got in January 2019, 2019, yeah, I think so, yeah. And uh, before that, I played Wayne Bozier on GR mouthpiece for seven years. Before that, I was on my journey figuring it out. But by, by, by the time I was 18, I I was settled, um, pretty much on the on the on the Bergeron. And mine's really just a slightly more conventional version of Wayne's. I I am more more closely have a closer relationship to my mouthpiece than I do my trumpet. Honestly, my trumpet can change um daily. I'm not um uh sometimes when I'm in my studio here and I'm recording some stuff uh I I get I get wound up with the trumpet that I'm on. I just got my jump all my trumpets out behind the the computer in cases, and I'll just go get them all out and and just see which one feels best today. I'm not like most important thing for me on the trumpet is that uh, it plays in tune generally, and it has a double high A. Some some trumpets don't. Um, I know that sounds a bit silly, really. Uh, most Yamahas do, and they play in tune, and they all sound good i mean they all sound great i the only time that i would ever notice that i didn't that i preferred one over another is if i played them next to each other i know it's a bit it's a bit uh, sounding a bit blasé about it but i i'm more interested in how it feels to play and how comfortable it is to play than the sound it makes um the, uh, you know um I, I would not my opinion is i would not sacrifice um my enjoyment of playing a particular trumpet uh if if my enjoyment of playing a particular trumpet was 50% better than another one and that other one had a 3% sound improvement because i honestly believe that the improvement between different trumpets is like within 5% <laughs> um so much more of it is you and everything else um i'm going to go with the one that is 50% more enjoyable and, and better to play than the one that that gives me three percent better sound. Um, it's kind of uh, it's sort of a, it's pretty matter of fact, but that, that's how I feel about it. But that's great. That's that's, that's great. You know, and and having that consistency up front with the with the mouthpiece. You know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I don't really ever blame the trumpets for not working, but I also recognize that they've all got their problems, like if playing the trumpet is a is a just a big fat compromise 
then all trumpets are also just a big fat compromise you know um some do some things better some think do some other things better um thank goodness there are so many of them for us to choose from so i'd say yeah or a blessing or a curse i'm not sure which one <laughs> all right well we got one final segment to get through louis and this is uh brought to us by good friends of robinson's remedies rapid relief for your sore and tired chops this is the robinson's remedies rapid fire round this is a series of questions that go all over the place okay uh, some about life some about trumpet some about beverage so uh i'll try and be short and snappy all right let's see what we can do with this all right so here we go first question for you louis who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player um my wife right. what's your favorite book i don't read much uh the one I enjoyed most, probably The Strange Death of Europe by Douglas Murray. Okay. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh. I, uh, I, uh, it's got to be some rom-com that I didn't want to watch that I was made to watch <laughs> well, by, we'll, the, by, by the most influential person in my life. Sorry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll accept that as your answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, if you got, if you got a, a definite answer, I'll take it. I literally can't think of the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, no, it's not there. Sorry. Well, that is a rom-com. <laughs> you know that. Um, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? I said pilot before. Um, uh, um, yeah, uh, pilot. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite drink? Um, beer. All right. You could have uh, a dinner party. And at this dinner party, you could invite any three living people, any three people in the world that are alive today. Who would you want to have there? Elon Musk, Jordan Peterson, um, and Douglas Murray. Okay. Uh, you got three additional chairs at this table and you could invite magically any three people from history to join along with you <laughs> uh um because i've got those three there i'd have to have probably um oh 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 there are so many people that aren't here anymore <laughs> um Einstein, uh, maybe like JFK, um, and Neil Armstrong. Okay. <laughs> That's a weird dinner party. <laughs> All right. Lacquer, plated, or raw? 
plated. All right. What's your favorite quote? Oh. Oh. Um. Uh, let me. I might have to find this. I don't know it off by heart. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with who you were yesterday. That's a good one. I thought it was going to be another round, please. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Uh, what's your greatest fear? Um, I fear, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I love swimming, but probably drowning. All right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Um, uh, flight. Yeah, be a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> what aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most over? Or, yes. What aspect of trumpet playing do you find to be the most overrated? Yeah. Uh, okay. And what aspect do you find to be the most underrated? What happens between the lips and the mouthpiece? Sorry, right. what happens between the teeth and the mouthpiece, not the lips? Um, you can go back in time and give your younger self, not too too long ago, you can go back and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, um, be open-minded uh, that you uh, uh, don't be stubborn because you might surprise yourself um, about what you might like musically later on in life. Okay. And while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life? Um... Uh, just, uh, yeah, I think honesty is really important and loyalty. So just, uh, make sure you don't lose that value. Just stay honest. Right. And final question for you, Louis, what do you want your legacy to be? <laughs> oh, um, I want my legacy to be, um, uh, that, um, that my family had all had nice, happy, meaningful lives and that, um, I was capable of facilitating that for them. Mm, that's good. Anything else? <laughs> yeah. And it has nothing to do with the trumpet. No, it doesn't. No, honestly, <laughs> like I, I, I wish it did, but I, uh, I'm, I mean, it might be it might be because I have a, you know, a, a new baby, but I've very much in 
that my head is, is very much in that space right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I understand that completely. All right. Well, Louis, it's been great getting to know you, man. This has been a fantastic hang. And uh, everything that, that people have told me about you is absolutely true. You're, you're a, a warm and, and genuinely uh, funny guy. I like oh. that. <laughs> um, thank you very much. I really, very, very much enjoyed it. It's been yeah. lovely. And uh, thank you for taking time to join us on this episode of The Hang. Make sure that you like and subscribe, share this with your friends, and uh, links to uh, all of Louis's cool, very cool stuff are going to be in the show notes. So make sure that you uh, check out his uh, YouTube channel. His, uh, you know, playing is, is it speaks volumes for itself. And uh, you know, so check Louis out. Good dude. So <laughs> thanks very much. And as always, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.